Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series titled Counter Culture as he speaks on how one can find the courage to fight back and slay the dragon of lust. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Guys, we're uh, continuing in a sermon series that we've been in now for a, a few weeks called Counterculture. This is actually our fourth week in, and if you've missed the first two sermons, you need to go back and get them, okay? You need to go back and hear those because they elude and give a precursor to everything we're going to talk about through the rest of this series. First, why this series? Why do we have a series like this? Why would the Lord lead us to preach on some of these subjects in a way that he's led? You need to hear that message, all right, at first. Why? Why counterculture series? And then the second one was absolute truth versus relative truth. Because if, if you're not sold out and, and, and tuned in and believe in your heart that absolute truth exists in God's word, then everything we're about to say is just meaningless. Because absolute truth exists in God's word and he testifies to that, that he is the truth. Here's the beautiful thing, guys. So many people want to say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I don't like certain parts of his word, so I'm going to not believe that part. Let me tell you what, you cannot separate Jesus from his word. You cannot do it. He is truth. His word is truth. Jesus said, Father, you sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So if he's the truth and his word is truth, can you separate them? Absolutely not. But we have a, a counterculture movement, if you will, and even in the church, that's trying to tell people you can have your sin in Jesus too. You can accept Christ and have him um, you know, be your savior, but he doesn't have to be your Lord. Oh, that's scary. Because if he's Lord, he's Lord of all. Everything in his truth. So that plays into everything we're going to talk about the next few weeks. You need to go back and catch that message. Last week, we talked a lot about this pandemic we're in and what's a biblical response to it. What would Jesus say to us? And we had some great points from Scripture on what God would, would have us do and how ha he would have us refocus. And he would stop the division amongst the church and even from the church from the world and, in terms of where people just hate to see us coming anymore. You know, we got to get rid of that. We've got to speak love. We've got to bring light and not heat to these situations. Everything we're going to talk about the next few weeks is the same scenario. We have to know God's truth, be prepared to bring light and not heat on these subjects. And we talked a little bit about it. We'll probably revisit some of what we talked about last week, at least a portion that I didn't get through that the Lord really has expounded upon this past week just in circumstances and study that we'll revisit on some of it. And that'll be the end times, the mark of the beast. What are we looking at? Where are we at? So we'll revisit that before we get out of this series as the Lord leads. But today, those of you who are on Facebook probably saw it a little um, kind of precursor to what was coming today. And we're going to talk about something that is very prevalent in our society. Something that is wreaking a storm in the hearts and the lives of young people, adults, families, and even churches. And we're going to talk about this big dragon, if you will, and how to slay it. Wouldn't that be really cool today? You could tell people, I went to church today, I learned how to slay a dragon. You'd be like, man, dragons ain't real. Yeah, I know, just play along with me, all right? Because I thought that would be cool, you slay a dragon. Can you imagine taking that bad boy to the taxidermist? What would that cost? All right? But anyway, so, but the dragon is this. It's a dragon of lust. Because it is intimidating, and it's doing a lot of damage in our society. So what is it? How do we slay it? You know, we know that the dragons and the mystical stories of dragons and the mythical kind of stories around it from back in medieval times about how this dragon is, is present and it, and it invokes fear and, and intimidation amongst people. But then who do they send out to fight the dragon? 
a knight dressed in what? Armor. Church, how are we to fight our spiritual battles from Ephesians 6? Dressed in armor. What armor? The spiritual armor of God. That God has equipped each and every one of us to be a knight to fight the battles that we face in life. To fight an enemy who the Bible says is coming against us. Every single one of us. And our battle's not against people. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities and the powers of this dark world that are coming against us from the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's a spiritual battle. And that's where the war is waged, and then it manifests itself on earth. And the only way we're going to slay this dragon is with the spiritual armor of Christ. We need to have the belt of truth around our waist, because nobody can fight well with their pants around their ankles. Right? I mean, straight up. The belt keeps your pants up. You need to have truth. Are, are you going to be trying to fight like this? And you, you can't fight like that. God wants us to have truth first. What is truth? That's what we alluded to in that second week. God wants us to have that. Then we have that breastplate of righteousness, right? Where we are, are surrendered to the word, not legalism, but righteousness through Christ, where we, we are able to reflect those arrows that the enemy is going to shoot at our heart. And then we've got the shield of faith that we step out, right, and trust. We've got our feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. We've got a helmet of salvation on. And then what else do we have, guys? What is the Pretty much, there's other uh, pieces of armor that can be used offensively. We talked about that in our spiritual warfare series. But what's the main offensive weapon that's given the knight of Christ? The sword. What's that sword, guys? It's the dragon slayer. It's what this is. Do you have the dragon slayer? And I don't mean do you just have a copy of it. Do you have it in here? Because that's where you're going to slay it, right there. So let us hear this message today, church. Yes, there is a dragon. We're going to define this dragon. We're going to show what it looks like, how it's reared its ugly head in our society. Because we need to know the dragon that we're up against. But then today's message is about slaying this dragon. It's about victory, church. That's today's message is victory. Not a condemnation message about, whoa, whoa, how bad are we? How bad are we? It's not that. It's about how good does Christ want us to have victory over the dragon that is defeating us. That's the message today. That's what he went to the cross for. That's what he rose from the grave for, is to set you free, to set me free so that we don't have to be a slave to the sin of this dragon anymore. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus, and Lord, we praise you for who you are. Lord, we come to you on bended knee, Lord, with a heart that is repentant, Lord, a, a heart and a mind that are, is open and ready to receive your word. So, Lord, would you speak to us right now? Lord, we know the evil that's amongst us. Lord, we feel the pressure of temptation. We feel the pressure of an enemy he wants to deceive. And, Lord, we know that in our flesh we are weak. Lord, that we have no power in and of ourselves. Lord, that our power, our strength, and our ability, and our willingness to fight only comes from you. So, Lord, I pray that you would give it today, Lord, to each and every one. Lord, let nobody leave here today unchanged. Lord, let nobody leave here today condemned. Lord, may we be convicted, which is by your spirit, and may we feel your arms of love and hope and restoration that you are reaching your hand down today to say, this is the way, walk in it. I love you. I died for you. I want to set you free today. Come walk in the victory that I have prepared for you to walk in. Lord, let us hear that today and be doers of your word and not hearers only. And you get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So guys, what we're going to talk about today, specifically with the temptation of lust, all right? But as we go through this and we talk about this temptation and we talk about just temptation as a whole and what it looks like and, and how we overcome it, this is going to set the stage also for the weeks to come as we talk about other things that people have, have been trapped in by our enemy, so, so maybe this area right here doesn't fall on you, but maybe some of the situations and things we talk about in the weeks to come do. And, this, and the, the story is the same on how to overcome, that we must see this 
temptation and what it is and what our desire is for it in the flesh and then how we overcome it through the Spirit of God and through His power. So we know that this dragon that we talk about today is a hypersexual culture that we live in. And it is rearing its ugly head. You can't get away from it. You can. You cannot escape it anymore. I remember back when I was young, they used to, like, we only got like three channels, right? Maybe five, you know, if you got 27 too, right? And you remember the commercials back then, I mean, they were, you know, eh. I remember back then, my parents thinking some of them were risque. Man, let me tell you what, they are like a Disney movie compared to what's on today. Guys, we have been desensitized to the hypersexual culture that we live in. And it's gone gradually, 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 gradually. And we can't escape it anymore. You can't even watch television, you can't watch movies without having something pop up on your screen that alludes to a hypersexual culture, that starts to play into your mind for temptation. And then it, it starts to wreak havoc because then we have other opportunities today that we didn't have even 30 years ago. Because we've got a technology age where you don't even have to try anymore to get some inappropriate content in front of your face. It's right there. All the time. So it's on TV. It's in the magazines. It's on social media, it's on your computer, it's on your phone. You see it when you walk out in society, you go to the beach, you go to the gym. There is a hypersexualized, seductive culture that is inescapable. That's why we're falling for it so much. It's become so large, it's become so big, it's so easy to give into. When you look at this beast and how it's reared its head specifically with the idea of lust. And you know specifically that this has come to this huge dragon that we call pornography today. Because pornography breeds more lust in the heart of people. Pornography hurts everybody. Among adolescents, pornography hinders the development of a healthful, healthy sexuality. It makes them even start to question, in many cases, their identity. It causes confusion. In some cases, it makes them even question their sexual orientation after watching so much of it. That's scary. Ideas they would have never thought of, but when this is put in front of their face, it starts to change this. But it seems so innocent. It seems so private. Like I'm not hurting anybody. But the statistics say otherwise. Among adults, it distorts sexual attitudes and social realities. In families... Pornography leads to marital dissatisfaction, infidelity, separation, and divorce. It's harming our culture. The porn industry, talk about how big of a monster, how big of a dragon it is. The porn industry by itself, its annual revenue, makes more than the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB combined. Let you think about that for just a minute. The porn industry by itself makes more than ABC, CBS, and NBC combined. And you know how much they get for their commercials. We've got a huge monster. The financial cost of businesses and productivity in the U.S. alone from pornography estimated to be $16.9 billion annually. But actually the human toll, particularly among our youth and our families, is far greater. The dragon has roared for a long time, and the church has been too silent. Because too many pastors feel like it's embarrassing to stand up here and talk about this subject. 
And the more we stay silent, the more the enemy plants seeds. And the more he takes ground in our homes, in our society, in our schools, in our churches. So we can't stay silent anymore. We have to speak the truth and we have to put it in front of us and know how to defeat it. In our world, every second, 28,258 people are viewing pornography around the clock. Every second. 28,258. 35% of internet downloads now, total, 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. One third, you think this is just a male problem? One third of pornography viewers now are women. The likelihood of teenage pregnancy doubles with exposure to sexual content on TV and pornography. Doubles. Pornography increases, talk about marriages, increases the marital infidelity rate, that's adultery, by 300%. You want to have a great chance of losing your family, cheating on your wife, and losing everything God gave you? Click on the computer screen. 300%. 56% of divorces now claim to have at least one partner hooked on pornography. 68% of divorces have a new sexual partner hooked up as the cause of the divorce over the internet. It's right there. 48% of all homes say that porn is a problem in their home. That's a lot. Talk about our youth. Talk about, let's talk about our church. How about churches? As a whole, it's estimated that 50% of pastors view pornography, of pastors across the board. Of those, talk about the top leaders of youth and senior pastors. In youth pastors, one in every five youth pastors views pornography regularly. One in every seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis, currently struggling. It says that's more than 50,000 U.S. church leaders. I want you to think about that across the nation. Look at people inside the church. When studies are taken, 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women claim to regularly view pornography. When you ask the culture, those outside the church, it's 65% of men and 30% of women. Not much difference, is there? 64% men in the church, 65% men outside the church, 15% of women inside the church, 30% of women outside the church. 87% of women, Christian women inside the church, claim that at one time they have viewed pornography. 87%. Talk about our teens. Talk about our phones. Even beyond pornography, our teens are even creating their own pornography with something called sexting, where they're taking pictures of themselves and sending it to their friends. Nearly 27% of teens receive sexed messages. Around 15% are creating them and sending them. 57% of teens search out porn at least monthly. 33% of women less than the age of 25 search out porn at least once a month. Looking at our youth, 57, I'm sorry, 51% of male students and 32% of female students first viewed porn before their teenage years, before they were even 13. The average first age of exposure to to pornography now is 11 years old on average, 11. 94% of children now see pornography by the time they're 14 years old, 94%. The first, I'm sorry, if you go a little deeper, you can see other staggering statistics. 84% of ages 14 to 18 uh, of males view it 
regularly, 57% of 14 to 18-year-old females have viewed pornography. When you look at pornography as a whole, you see that gay male pornography constitutes a disproportionately large share of the industry. It's estimated that 20 to 30% of pornography produced is gay male pornography. And this pornography creates 30 to 50% of the pornography industry's revenue. Almost half. Several studies have indicated that gay men consume pornography at a higher frequency than heterosexual men. One study that I saw publicized in the New York Post showed, and it was a correlational study, not a causal study, but it showed that the more frequently you watch porn, the more likely you are to be bisexual. It's causing gender confusion. It's causing sexual orientation confusion. Many people have been reaching out to mental health websites expressing this confusion of their sexual orientation after viewing excessive pornography. You're looking in our culture as a whole, you say, well, that's just harming people by themselves, isn't it? Now, I've already shared with you the statistics of the home and the families that are ripped apart by it. What does it do in our society? We find that many rapists, child molesters, kidnappers, adulterers commit or admit to having porn addiction. 61% of serial killers admit to being addicted to pornography. 61%. 55 to 71% of sex offenders are addicted to pornography. 90% of pedophiles are addicted to pornography. I took the time to go through all that to show you the magnitude of the dragon that can be slain. It can be slain right now today. It can be slain in your heart. It can be slain in your home. It can be slain in our society with the start right now. Christ gives us the playbook on how to take this thing down. He has equipped us with the dragon slayer, the truth of his word and his spirit that wants to come in and lead and guide our hearts away from the temporal, worldly desires and fleshly lust that we have. So let's go to our teaching passage today. In James chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 13 through 18. This dragon is ugly, but we're going to kill it. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. Word of God says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived. Boy, that's a familiar one lately, isn't it? My beloved brethren... Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures." A lot in there. We're going to dig it out right here because we're going to see in this passage how we defeat this dragon of lust. How we get to it when it's maybe not quite so big in our lives and our hearts yet. Because that's where God wants us to take hold first and foremost. But then there's still, because of who Christ is, no matter how big that dragon has gotten in your life and in your heart, there's still the ability to defeat it. Hope's never lost when Jesus is here. Praise him. So we see first and foremost in this passage that James alludes to here, that each one, he says, is going to be tempted. So first of all, we can take heart that we're in this battle together in different ways, but we're all tempted. So we all have on us a weight, a burden, 
a challenge, a battle that we all know we need to fight together. Certain people are tempted to do different things in different ways at different times. Each one of our stories, each one of our past, each one of our current circumstances are very different, but we all are tempted, the Bible says, every single one of us. Very common experience if you're a human being, whether you're Christian or non-Christian. Enemies after you. James here in this passage, it's important to note that previous to this, he'd been talking about overcoming trials. If you remember, he says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And it says, let perseverance finish its work so that you become spiritually mature and complete, not lacking anything. So we know that there's perseverance under trial and that there's benefit reaped through enduring that leads us into further sin. So you can see this connection as this passage draws through chapter 1. We know that if we respond to a trial with obedience, then we find it brings spiritual growth. But if we respond to a trial with disobedience, it turns into something that can put us down. The exact same is true with our temptation. How we handle it makes all the difference in the outcome. Can I, can I say that again? We're very familiar with how we handle a trial depends on what happens later. How you handle temptation determines the outcome in your life of a dragon. So we're going to look at it today. We need to know about this temptation. If this is such a thing here that, that it's weighted here in James that we need to, to respond to, we need to know what it's about. And first of all, let me say this, we're going to see that, that this temptation here, I want you to think of it like a baby dragon, all right? Y'all seen the little cartoon movie, How to Train a Dragon, and he raised it from the time it was little, and it was easy, right? It was his buddy. He had it under control. It never was a threat to him. I forget the dude's name, but Hiccup or something like that, I don't know. But anyway... Guys, that's what God wants us to do with our temptation. Our temptation has the ability to turn into a nasty, full-grown, fire-breathing dragon over our lives and our hearts, over our marriages, over our homes, and will destroy us. But we can tame it while it's little, and we can keep it little, and we can keep it trained through the power of Christ in our life. So let's look at that. So we need to know about this. First of all, what is temptation? Is temptation sin by itself? When we are pressed with the thought or, 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 the, or the first glance image or anything, is, is that sin, that just the temptation when the fleeting thought comes to our mind? The answer is no. Temptation is not sin. How can you say that, Brad? Is it your opinion? No. My opinion doesn't ever matter. All right? Only God's opinion matters. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 tells us that temptation is not a sin. How? It says because Jesus, our high priest, was tempted in every way common to man, but yet he did not sin. There you go. There's your answer. If temptation was a sin, then Jesus would have sinned. But it wasn't. He was tempted in every way, but yet he did not sin. So there we know. Temptation itself is not. So put some handles on that in terms of lust, especially for us men, because we know we're very visually stimulated, right? Is the first look, you always hear about the first look versus the second look analogy. The first look oftentimes is the temptation and not the sin, unless you keep your eyes there, because then the first quickly changes to the second look. But it's often the second look when your eyes go back that your mind starts to twist and wonder and fantasize, that's when we start falling for the temptation. The first look by itself, whoo, that's a great creation, God. You did a great work on that one. I'm going to keep going. You know what I'm saying? That's what we need to do. It's when we turn around and look and, and let everything take over in our mind that we fall and start to fall for this trap. And we know that trap 
often alludes to when we can't find satisfaction just in our mind, that's when we dive further and we pick up this and we go home and get on the computer screen when everybody's asleep and we do whatever we can to fulfill that longing, that lust. And then when this doesn't get to be enough, then we act it out in the flesh and we cheat on our spouse and we look up for people online to to try to meet up with so that we can indulge in our fantasies and our sin and our lust. And you see where it all started was with a baby dragon. You saw a girl at the gym, had them like tight, I guess they call them pants, I don't know, it looks like somebody's naked just with a different color on their legs. And sometimes that's all it takes. And off you go. So temptation by itself is not a sin, but it is the primary source of sin. It's where it starts if we give into it, how we handle it. What's the goal of temptation? We need to know that. What's his goal? The goal of temptation, fueled by your enemy, is to destroy you. And all, maybe not the first time you do it, that's too easy. Because then if that happens, you have too many examples. Like, man, the first time they did that, man, everything went wrong. I am not touching that. You see, he wants to give you plenty of examples of people that are doing it that look like there's nothing going on wrong in their life. So you've got the idea that what ain't going to hurt me either. You see, he wants to just set you on the road to destruction. Because if he can get you on the road, it's easier to stay on that path. What's the Bible say in 1 Peter 5.8? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. How does a roaring lion attack its prey? Anybody watch National Geographic? Does it come roaring across this wide open field like if, if, if there was a deer back there and I was going to go get it? Would I just go sprinting at it, roaring? No, why? What's it going to do? Pew. I ain't having no part of that. What's it do? I'm going to go get in the bushes. And I'm going to sneak. And I'm going to be real quiet. And I'm going to get in the ditch. And I'm going to get in the tall grass. And every time the deer thinks it heard something or saw something move, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to let it get comfortable again and put its head back down. And then I'm going to keep creeping. Guys, that's what the enemy's doing with temptation. As he gets you on the road with lust and you think everything's okay and you think you haven't felt any effects from it. And he's sneaking up the whole time. And then when he gets close enough, he pounces. It's over. He's seeking to devour. That's the goal of temptation. He wants to overtake you. And if you don't understand this, you will play with the very temptation and sin that is going to destroy you and your marriage and your home. And here's some truth for you. You can't, you cannot defeat the demons that you enjoy playing with. Cannot do it. If you are a follower of Christ, a demon cannot possess you because the Spirit of God is there. But by what we choose to do and what we choose to bring in our home and what we choose to bring in our ears through music and in our eyes through television and stuff can allow a demon to torment you, though, and wreak havoc on your life and in your home. So what are you putting in? You cannot defeat the demons that you enjoy playing with. The worst position that you or I can ever be in is thinking that sin isn't that bad and we're in control of it. Oh, I got this. I'm all right. It's not going to develop into an addiction. It's just something I got to do when I just need a little quick fix. We're going to talk about that with drugs, with alcohol, with everything that's coming up in this series. Oh, I got this. I'm in control of this. Tough guy, right? It's not in control of me. It's probably in control of you more than you think. Emotionally, connection to your soul. And the lion's creeping up. Temptation, what is the character of temptation? We know what it is in general. We know what his goal is. What's the character of temptation? The character of temptation is to always cast doubt on the character of God and the word of God. You get this example from the very first temptation. Where was that? Adam and Eve. How'd he do it? Did God really say? 
And then he appealed to their, their flesh. You can be like God. You could be wise and smart and know everything. It's the oldest trick in the book and it still works. The enemy comes at us today and appeals to our flesh. He wants to make us doubt God's word. He wants to make us doubt the character of God. To make us think that God doesn't have our best interest in mind. That God's just a cosmic killjoy. He just doesn't want you to have any fun while you're young and in college. That's what he's doing. He's winning. He's winning. The goal is to destroy. The character is to cast doubt on God and his word. And it's very common. It's universal. 1 Corinthians, Paul says that to the church at Corinth in chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. He says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful. Don't you love it when God gives you a way out? Come on, you ought to be cheering to that. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. You don't have to give in to the temptations of this world. You don't have to follow the crowd, young people. God is faithful to give you a way out. And he says, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able? You see, this verse is often taken out of context to say God won't put us through any, every stuff we can't handle. That is an out-of-context scripture because Paul said, man, we were under so much pressure that we were, thought we were going to die. So this is not the context of this verse. The context of this verse is temptation. It even says it. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That cancels out every excuse you and I could ever come up with as to why we're so weak and give in to sin so much. Oh, it's my past. You don't understand my circumstances. You don't know the, 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 the culture I'm in. You don't know the team I play for and what they say in the locker room and what they show me. You don't. God said he'd make a way out. That's pretty clear. And think about all the times that when we have fallen for sin and where we've messed up because we all trip up. Even as followers of Christ, man, we're going to get in weak moments and we're going to mess up. And, and, and you think back, you may Lord, you, you made a way out. Man, I was trying to get on the computer and the internet was delayed. That was a perfect opportunity for me to just walk away. <laughs> I, I, was, I was, thought I was alone and, and, and then my kid got up to go to the bathroom or something and that was a perfect opportunity, the Lord saying, stop. You could think of a lot of examples. Those are just a couple. The Lord's always going to make a way out. He's going to put an opportunity for you to hit a pause button. And think before you act and to honor him with our lives. Why? Because he's legalistic and wants us to follow rules, 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 rules. No, he doesn't want us to experience the devastation that I just presented in the first part of this message that he knows will come in your heart, your life, your family, and in this society if we keep giving into it. That's why. It's not about rules. It's about having an abundant life that he wants you to have. Peace, hope, joy. That's it. So with temptation, when are we vulnerable? That's, that's a huge part. We have to know when are, when are you and I most likely to experience this attack? For this example, again, we can go back to Scripture. I don't want you to have my opinion. What does God's Word say? What's the example of Christ? He was tempted. You remember that? When Satan come to him after he had fasted for 40 days? And tempted him with all that? What were, what were his situation? I'm going to speed through this for, for the sake of time. What, were his, what was his situation where, that made him vulnerable to temptation there? He was tired. He was alone. He was vulnerable. He was hungry. Satan's going to come at us in the same situations on times where we feel tired, we're weak, we're lonely, and we're hungry. Not for food, necessarily, like Jesus was after fasting, but hungry for affection. Hungry for attention. Hungry for something to fill the void we're filling in our life. And we just need something. That's when we're going to get attacked. With the temptation. He's going to come. He's going to put it in front of us. And it's so easy to get. Satan wants to give us, here's the, here's the whole thing of everything we're going to talk about today and in the next few weeks. Satan wants to give you a good thing in a bad way. He does. 
Because a lot of times the thing you and I desire at its core is probably not wrong. Now we can twist it and manifest it in different ways where it becomes perverted, absolutely. But at its core, the desire for affection, the desire for attention, the desire for affirmation is not wrong. It's not. But God wants you to have it in a healthy way. Satan wants to give it to you in an unhealthy way that will destroy you. Is that, is that pretty clear? Is that pretty, pretty sound? Everybody kind of getting the picture? So we know we're, we're getting deceived by a liar, a deceiver, and a counterfeit manipulator. He's going to give you something that looks real, that looks like what God wants you to have, that looks like what God created you to have, and then he's going to twist it to destroy your life. He's going to give you the curveball and strike you out. That's his goal. He wants to make you think that God, that the God that you can't see, and that oftentimes we feel like we can't understand his ways, he wants to make, him think that, make you think that he's against you. And he's just trying to make you have a bad time in life. He wants to make you think his plan and his word goes against your feelings, goes against your hormones, goes against your influences that are around you. And that's where he's going to get you. You see, but God wants to limit our sexual thoughts and activities to the appropriate time and with the appropriate person in an appropriate way under appropriate circumstances because he knows anything else will destroy you and he cares about you too much. You see, God wants you to have a healthy sexual relationship and desire within the bounds of marriage between a man and a woman and that's it. Everything else outside of that is fornication. Everything. Because God loves you. It's like a guardrail on the, on the parkway. I've given this illustration before. Man, it, if you were speeding down the parkway and you were in danger and you come around one of them sharp curves, man, and, and it ain't nothing but about a thousand feet to the ground and you hit the guardrail, Would you get out of your car and start cussing the guardrail out? You guardrail, you messed up my car, man. Look at this. Paint's all messed up, dented up, man. Or would you thank the guardrail when you looked over the edge and you said, you saved my life? That's what God wants to do. He's putting guardrails up with us. That we, that he wants to stay within the, he wants to stay on the road. He doesn't want us to go over the cliff where there's destruction and harm. He wants to keep us in. And sometimes when we hit against that rail, there's conviction and it messes up our pain a little bit. <laughs> kind of dents us up. And too many people come back and say, oh God, I don't believe that. I don't want that. And cuss the guardrail out. When it wants to save your life. Same analogy with the fire in a fireplace, God put a sexual desire and, and gave us sexuality to be healthy within the bounds of marriage. It's meant to stay in the fireplace. But when that fire gets outside the fireplace, what happens? Bad things, baby. The home goes down. It's beautiful in the fireplace. It gives warmth. It gives comfort. It brings fellowship. Outside of it, it's very dangerous. That's God's word on this and what we're going to speak about the next few weeks in every subject. It's boundaries to keep us from destruction. So what we know is we can either choose to have some short-term pain maybe for some long-term gain or we can have some short-term gain for some long-term pain. Which would you choose? So now if we fall into sin, whose fault is it? James kind of alludes to this too. Whose fault is it? I mean, if God allows the, the trials, if God allows the temptations, he doesn't bring the temptation. James is very clear in that. God doesn't tempt you. He can't do it. All right? But he can allow our enemy to come and do it. All right? Just like he allowed those trials on Job that the enemy asked for. So is it his fault then? We could blame it on him, couldn't we? Is it the fault of my circumstances? Is it the fault of my being created the way God created me the way I am and I can't help it? You hear that a lot lately with certain things, don't you? Well, God made me this way. I don't have a choice. Could you say that about the testosterone and the 
increased sex drive. Well, God, you made me this way so I can view all the pornography I want and I can cheat on my spouse. Same scenario. Who do you blame? Who do we blame? This passage alludes to it. We're going to look at it. We can see it even in Genesis chapter 3. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time because I want to move us on here. But we know the passage after Adam and Eve had seed that had sinned and conceived the sin from that and fallen for the temptation that then God calls out and asks Adam where he is. And he said, Lord, I was, I was hiding, man, because I'm embarrassed because I'm naked. Who told you he was naked? What happened? He said, oh, well, what did he say? That woman that <laughs> you gave me. Where did he point to blame? Somebody else. Second person he pointed to blame at. Did you catch it? The woman you gave me. Blame God. You made her. I was chilling in the garden, woke up one day, and there she was. It's your fault. What did Eve say? It was the serpent that did it. Blame Satan. The devil made me do it. It's that awful enemy that just keeps attacking my mind all the time, and I can't get him out, so I just got to give in. God said he'll provide a way out. When Eve blamed Satan, who else did she blame? Who created Satan? God. Blame God again. This thing you made. You see the point? So now you hear this common analogy with everybody today still doing the same thing. I don't want to take responsibility for my own sin. It's not my fault. It's my circumstances. It's my past. It's, it's my spouse. It's, it's this. It's my kids. It's this. It's that. Ultimately, it's God. God created me this way. It's God's fault. I just, I can't help it. And we see the same old, same old. Blame placed on God. Verse 14 gives a good picture here of what happens as temptation moves forward. It uses this analogy here with being drawn away. We look at it in verse 14 where it says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. This Greek word here for drawn away is like a hunting term. And it's the idea of being lured away. I'm a big hunter. I love to hunt. So this spoke well to me about how the enemy wants to attack. I love the deer hunt. And you have different calls, right, that you can call a, a buck in with. Like your, your grunt call or a, or a doe call or your rattle antlers and different stuff. And you try to lure that animal to you, right? Those of you that are turkey hunters, perfect example of this. You can... Be out in spring gobbler season, and the gobbler, that's the male turkey, can be, he can already have him a girlfriend, right? He can be hanging out in the field, already got him one, right? But you're over there, the hunter, and you have to try to make your call real sweet and make him start to think that maybe you got something going on that she don't. <laughs> I'm not real good at that. And you pull it away and lure it in. That's what Satan does. He wants to throw it out there and call you with something that's alluring, that looks shiny, that looks enticing, that looks like it's going to fill you up, that looks like it's going to satisfy you and draws you away, the Bible says. And then we see this word for lust here in verse 14 where it says each one is drawn away by his own desires that's their lust. It's the Greek word epithemia. It's a craving, an intense desire. Similar to when you're, you're hungry, you're starved, you're so thirsty that you have to have something. You see how you're drawn away? Now you just got to have it. It increases as we go. And then enticed. More of a fishing term now. Just like you entice the fish to, to hit your bait. 
and it looks like something different than what the fish really thinks it is. And there's a hook in there. And it gets stuck. And that's what Satan's doing with us. He's luring us away. He's making us hungry for something that's going to give a, a false sense of satisfaction. He wants to remember, give us something that innately inside might be good deep down inside at its core without the perversion on the outside. And he wants to give it to us in the wrong time and in a wrong way to destroy our life. And entraps us. So we have to be careful that we don't get drawn away, that we don't become hungry for the flesh and, and lustful desires, that we keep our gratitude for what God has given us, for the, the spouse that we have, for, 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 the, for the things that God has given us. Even be thankful for your singleness. If that's where God has you right now, be thankful for that. And trust in God to, to know that he's going to bring the right person at the right time in the right way. And to go outside the bounds is going to cause destruction for you and the partner. And we have to realize that. And we know that where gratitude is lost, lust abounds. That's when it starts to really dig in deep. When you start to feel like you're missing out and you're ungrateful. And we're not alone in this struggle, remember? Jesus took it a little farther in Matthew 27, 30. He said, you shall not commit adultery. He's re re repeating the Ten Commandments. He said, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you than if one of your members perished than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. What's God saying there? Actually cut off your hand and pluck out your eye? Metaphorically, yes. Physically, no. Okay? But what he's saying, if that's what it's going to take, do anything you have to to not fall into the temptation of sin and fall away from the Lord who wants to give you life and lose your soul in a place called hell for eternity. That's what he's saying. I've died on the cross to give you life, to set you free. You don't have to feel the torment and destruction that Satan wants you to feel. And it's a slow trickle. The Bible said it would happen in the end times that people would be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, not lovers of God. That they would have a form of godliness. They'd be in church, but they would be denying its power because they wouldn't be surrendered to Christ. They would think they could have Jesus as Savior but not make Jesus Lord. And that's not the truth of God's word. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Ask the rich young ruler that was sent away. Because he couldn't make him Lord. It's a scary thought. Verse 15, as we quickly wrap this to a close, says, Once sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. I think we've adequately talked about that. John 10, 10 even says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give life and give it to the full. Verse 16 and 17, very quickly says everything, basically, it's saying that everything that is beneficial, everything that's really fulfilling, everything that's really going to give you everything you're looking for comes from God, not from the world. I want to say that again. What you're really looking for, the fulfillment you really want to have, comes from God, his word, and the boundaries that he places around sexual activity between a man and a woman in marriage. That's where it'll be fulfilled. I'll give you statistics next week to show that the best sex on the planet is between a husband and a wife in a monogamous relationship, not in the college dorm room. That's secular statistics that you'll hear next week. But the enemy wants to make you think you're going to find it elsewhere. Everything you need is going to be given to you from God, and it's a good and perfect gift when we keep it in the bounds of the fireplace and don't let it burn the house down. I love verse 17 at the end. basically says he never changes. It says he's not ready to give up or change. or There's no variation in him or shadow of turning. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What his word says and what he calls sin is still, still, still sin today. It's never changing. So he is a, a lighthouse in the storm. He is an anchor in our refuge that we can run under. So as we completely close today from verse 18, I want to 
very quickly hit six ways we can overcome. That we can overcome and have victory over this dragon. We've touched on what temptation is and what it looks like and how we can, how we can uh, recognize it and what it does. Now let's talk about very quickly how to defeat it. It all comes from this passage. First, the Bible says in this passage that we would start to be drawn away. So when you feel yourself being drawn away, draw back. You feel yourself being drawn away with that temptation, pull back. Pull back, church. Pull back on the reins through the power of the Spirit of God in your heart and life. Long for the eternal and not the temporal. That's the key. So then it says it talked about this desire, that lust, that craving. When we recognize that strong temptation from our personal desires, we need to submit ourselves to the Lord right there. Don't give in to our lusts, what you want, but give in to what God wants. Jesus said himself, if anyone wants to come after me, that means if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Paul even said in, in the New Testament, strike a blow to your body. I'm going to strike a blow to my body so that it becomes my slave, that I'm not going to give in to my fleshly desires that are going to cancel me out, that I'm going to give in to the Spirit and let the Spirit of God lead. Three, when you feel that lure, when you feel that pull of like that fishing moment being enticed away, quench that improper desire with something healthy. Go fill that desire with something healthy, predominantly truth from God's word to help you fight that deception. We need to stop the internal pull and then flee from the external is the key. You see, the problem's not just all out there. Everybody wants to put the blame on, on the media and the way on the women dress and this and the other. That's not the problem. The problem's in here. Out there is gas that gets thrown on this fire and lights it up. So that's where we can, we recognize we have to be in this world but out of this world. That's where we know what's out there so we avoid it. And we don't let the fire, the gas get thrown on the fire. And we keep that fire in a healthy place. So we stop the internal lust, desire, and we flee from the external. Number four, it says when desire is conceived, when that desire is given to the conception of the temptation and it's received, you've got to predetermine not to sin in your heart. You've got to draw a line in the stand, even before you get in these situations, that this is where I'm not going to go. Joseph did that with Potiphar's wife. And I'm sure that woman was attractive. Ain't nobody ever seen a rich dude with an ugly wife, right? Come on. So this is a teenage boy pursued by a, probably a good-looking woman, and he said, no, I can't do it. Out of legalism, no, why? That I might not sin against you. That I might not sin against God. That's why. We need to draw the line in our heart that we are not going to go against God in his ways. It helps. It strengthens us. It empowers us. Doesn't mean that we're not going to stumble and trip and fall at times, but it's going to help us overcome. Number five, when sin is birthed, it says... What do we do when we feel like sin is birthed? We've already given in. We're in the middle of it. What do we do? Keep going? Slam on the brakes. If you've fallen for it, if you're in the middle of it, don't just keep going. Like, oh, I'm already on the computer screen now for 20 minutes. I might as well keep going. Next thing you know, you're on it for three hours. Slam on the brakes and get off. Get off. Get back. Don't give in. Make the stand. It's never too late. It's never. No matter where you're at in this lust and temptation, this addiction, you can have freedom. We need to get it out. Satan will come back and try to twist the word in your theology. You'll be like, well, Jesus already said if you lusted in your heart that you've sinned. So you've already done it. You might as well go ahead and enjoy it now. Punk. That's what he does. You've already lusted in your heart. You might as well just go ahead and call that girl that's on there. See if she'll meet up with you. You've already lusted. You see my point? When you're in the middle of it, maybe you've gone too far already. Slam on the brakes and don't go any further. And trust God and turn around and repent and let God help you back out. There's a path to victory. 
And it's not about trying harder, guys. It's not. It's about submitting to Christ more. Making a stand, being wise in this world and avoiding what needs to be avoided, but then trusting God with the final point. And that's his truth. It tells us that in verse 18 as it closes that God by his will has brought us out by his truth. So what does that mean? We need to get the truth of God's word in our heart. You need to memorize scripture. David even said in the psalm, said, I hide my word, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's the sword. It's the dragon slayer. But see, what we have is too many people who memorize scripture but don't internalize scripture. You could sit here and you can legalistically and just go through the motions and memorize 100 verses by next week if you're really smart. But if you don't internalize those verses, they are not going to help you one bit. You need to read that scripture and internalize it in your heart. Let it permeate your being and your soul so it changes you from the inside out. See the difference? I can just fight the external circumstances on the outside, but if I never internalize God's word and change my heart, then I'm just legalistically fighting this external stuff and I'm going to lose every time. But when I let God change my heart from the inside out, he gives me a new desire, a new heart, and a new walk, and a new talk, and I promise you, he'll do it. Have you experienced that today? Do you even know what I'm talking about? Or have you just been trying to adhere to rules? You've just been trying to try really hard to overcome the addictions that you're wrestling with. So many people fight it not knowing that there's real victory when we internalize this and it slays the dragon that's destroying us. You weren't meant to fight the battle on your own either. It helps to get it exposed, to get it out in the open. That's why we have a chain breakers ministry. Collison, you over there, you raise your hand. Chain breakers ministry for anybody who's struggling with anything. Not just addictions, not just this, alcohol, drugs, not just, it, it could be you struggling just over the pandemic. You've got, you're freaking out. You've got anxiety, you've got panic attacks, you're depressed. Whatever you're dealing with, that's what it's for. Just come sit down and, and gather with a group of people and just get real and honest in, in a safe environment and, and talk about the Word of God and, and how He wants to bring healing and hope to us and how we can do life together. Get plugged into life groups if you're not already and get with a, a group of people and do life together where you can share and dig in deep in the Word. We shared all those statistics at the beginning and one statistic that was pretty solemn to me was after all those statistics of the devastation with pornography and lust, only 7% of churches have a plan to help people defeat it. And the Lord pressed upon me, what else you gonna do, man? You stand up and preach all day long. You gonna help me? Chain breakers is one way. Another way, if we have people that are interested, would you let Tim or I know privately? We're going to sign up and we'd love to invest in something called a Conquer series, where it's a series that walks through how to be pure. So if you're interested in that, let us know. That might be something that we can send out that you do individually in the privacy. That might be something we do as a group. I don't know what that looks like. But if you're interested, we let us go. We want to make a way out. We want to give victory today. We're talking about slaying a dragon. Because James 1, 12, before that passage we just read, says, Blessed is the one who endures temptation. When he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. There's victory over the temptation. James 4, chapter 7 tells us again how. Submit yourselves to God first. Without that, you ain't going to win. First, submit yourselves to God. Then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Have you submitted yourselves 100% to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the truth of his word today? Will you do it today? 
first step of victory. Then, through his spirit and the power of his word, he will give you the ability to flee from the enemy that when his temptation comes your way. And then the Bible says, when you run from it, that he flees from you. He can't torment your life anymore. He cannot torment your home. He can't torment your kids. He has to flee in the name of Jesus. Do you have that power? Do you have that stance in your heart? Every single one of you. I want you to have it before you walk out today. Every head bowed, every eye closed right now. If you say, Brad, I've never made Jesus Lord of my life. I've been to church, man. I've, I've known the truth. I believe in Jesus, but I've never made him Lord. Will you make him Lord today? Lord of all. It's your first step to victory. And if that's you and you want to do that, I'm going to lead you through a prayer right here as we close. And if there's another group of people out here, you say, Brad, I've walked in and out of church doors my whole life. I've even committed my life to Christ previously, and I've walked with him. I've tasted what was good. I've, I was on fire for the Lord at one time, but lately, man, that fire's died out. And, man, I've, I've been deceived, and I've been just hurt in so many ways, and I've, I've walked away from the Lord, and today I want to come running back. I want to come running back and fall at the foot of the cross and just tell Jesus I'm his for here, for good, forever. And I want to rededicate my life. If that's you, I want to ask you to pray this same prayer from your heart to God's heart right now. Just say, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my Savior. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross that I could have forgiveness of my sin, that I could be redeemed, restored, renewed, and set free. Thank you for the victory that I have in Christ who rose from the grave three days later proving that he was God and I want to claim that same victory right now in my life over the temptation that the enemy is using to defeat me. I claim it right now. And my choice from this day forward is to honor God with every step I take, with every breath I make. It's all yours. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you meant business with God. You committed your life to him for the first time or you rededicated to him. Would you raise your hand and say, Brad, I prayed that prayer right now today. I'm unashamed. I meant business with God. Amen. Amen, Impact Church. Can we give Jesus a big round of applause for the truth of his word and what he wants to do. He wants to give us victory, that this is not a lost battle, that it's not too big of a dragon, that it can't be slain. Don't listen to the lie of the enemy that tells you that all hope is lost. Let's slam on the brakes and run back to Jesus. Amen. He's given us the dragon slayer in his word and with his spirit. He wants to move in us. And then he's going to use us. Here's the kicker. To help somebody else who's struggling. That's why the enemy doesn't want to say, you want you to be free? He doesn't want you to be free. Because he knows in the past. He can't, he can't see the future because only God can see the future. But he knows in the past how God has used people who come through something in the, and they were in the muck of the mud of the world and God restored them and set them new and how he used them to change other people's lives through his spirit. He knows it and he doesn't want you to be a part of it. You gonna let him win? Nope. We're gonna surrender to Christ so we can slay this dragon together. Hey, let's take this word. Let's make an impact for Jesus. Let's grab somebody else, bring them to church next week. And we'll see you right here next Sunday as we continue in our counterculture series. Love all you guys. Praying for you. Go make an impact for Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ. <laughs>